and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, it is, it's not an exaggeration. It's actually probably an understatement to say I'm really, really excited to welcome my guest because my guest today, I have, uh, we were just saying we've known each other for 10 years. So very, very seldom that I get to bring onto the show someone that I know as well as I know um, Dr. Sonali Kinra and uh, that I have worked with to such an extent over the years and um, to have actually seen her grow and develop as a leader into different roles over this time so this is just like a really beautiful moment for me and and such such a special episode and I've been trying to we've been trying to kind of like arrange our diaries for some time now to get this to get this done but um you know on honestly this is uh this is a, a, a truly wonderful experience for me today so I'm sure that will shine through in the in the episode tell you a bit about Dr. Sonali and then we will um we'll we'll delve a little bit more into our our overlaps and crossovers and things over the years. Dr. Sonali Kinra is a a GP or a family doctor for our friends across the pond and a deputy medical director of North Central London Integrated Care Board ICB. She completed her undergraduate training in India, moved to England in 2004. Um, originally went into uh, general medicine or internal medicine again for our um, transatlantic colleagues and uh, and and sat the very uh, notoriously challenging Royal College of Physicians membership exam and passed that and actually began practicing as a GP in 2008. She's held multiple clinical leadership roles across um, the NHS National Health Service at both system and national level improving patient and staff experience and outcomes. She set up the first sponsorship program in 2022 um, across the Midlands region in in England for women working in general practice and primary care, which has been a resounding success. Sonali's commitment to workforce equity and improved accessibility to excellent healthcare has been recognized with the Professional Excellence Award in 2021 by the British Association of Physicians of Indian Origin, BAPIO, and also in her inclusion on the Health Service Journal's 2022 Rising Star list of 50 of the most influential BAME um, or BIPOC uh, in the States, people in health. And uh, for those who don't know, the Health Service Journal is, a, is an extremely well-regarded journal for physicians in the UK. She is also one of the youngest trustee board members of the Royal College of Physicians. So without further ado, let's meet Dr. Sonali Kinra. Welcome to the show, Sonali. Thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart for agreeing to come on and speak to the show's audience today. 
thanks so much, Adam. It's a pleasure. It's absolutely mine. And um, I would say probably um, this this gives me an occasion of, you know, spending one hour with you to be able to see you on, on screen. <laughs> you know, we, we usually have our catch-ups, but uh, they're usually when one of us is either driving or you're picking up kids or dropping <laughs> kids or something so this is this is an absolute uh, treasured moment just just to clarify uh, adam the i'm on the trustee board of royal college of general practitioners and not physicians just so that oh, uh, my mistake sorry clear people. <laughs> um but um thanks for that introduction uh, and looking forward to our uh, chat today thank you thank you so much um so uh Sonali, you know, you know, I'm going to ask you about your sort of some of your past leadership roles, but um, for a bit of bit of context for um, the audience, um, Sonali and I first, as I say, first met around ten years ago, and uh, we were uh, I was um, co-opted onto Nottinghamshire Local Medical Committee, which is a um, a leadership committee for general practitioners, um, and it has a, a county wide footprint, so. Every county has a local medical committee. And Sonali was already on the committee. And, um, you know, as, as time went by, we we would attend monthly committee meetings. And I would I would see um, Sonali, um, you know, kind of contributing and responding to things. And I thought, wow, she is she is she's incredible. She's she's strong um you're quite you're quite fierce fierce at that in in those days I I recall I was a little I was a little intimidated I'm not I'm not going to lie um and uh I I thought oh gosh you know this is this is someone that um you know I need to I need to get to know and uh you know get get within her orbit and uh, I'm I'm so, I'm so grateful that you know we became became closer during that time and uh, and then since we've kind of both moved on and done done different things we've kept um a really a really good friendship going um and uh i'm i'm ever so grateful for that um but um yeah i mean i don't know how how far you want to want to go back but in your own words um can you tell the audience a bit more about yourself uh what some of your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have held in the past please yeah adam and uh, i i mean I'm, I'm i'm just before i do that i think um the, the local medical committee and just meeting you there's probably been one of the highlights of joining that <laughs> that local medical committee i think you you brought like you know the your your thinking just the way you would approach things your strategic thinking the way you were process driven um but i think the you know the inclusivity that inclusive voice that you that challenge that you brought to to that leadership table was um, was brilliant and and I remember I think when I joined the local medical committee um, there weren't many like me in, in terms of even and when I say many like me I mean people from kind of the younger generation of general practitioners you know we didn't see in in local medical committee uh, but by the time I think you and I left uh, you know the the balance had been tilted in favor probably mm. of, of younger GPs and you know we had established even amongst ourselves we had set up that in between us group yeah. uh, which you know which carried on so hopefully we'll come come to that in a second uh, so that was really really good okay so a little bit about myself um so i i come from india i am my my family's all in india i'm i'm one of one of three girls uh, my both my parents they were affected by by the partition you know when when there was india pakistan mm. partition that took place um 
and they they moved to to India at that time. My my mother is uh, is was a, a teacher in a college. She was teaching political science, and my dad has been a has been a chief financial officer in a in a big firm. So so technically, politics was never really far from kind of discussions yeah. on the table, but also brought up in an environment you know with with three girls and. Um, a household where it was very much about education, but also going out in the world and making making a name name for yourself, mm. uh, and being curious. I think that was certainly something that was constantly pushed. Uh, you know, as we were growing up, is that you know, be curious, go and try try things out, go and try something new, and we've got your back. That was certainly something that mom and dad kind of told all three of us um, mm. throughout. So I was I was the middle middle child, uh, and you know. Uh, and and enjoyed that. So I I did my I did my undergraduation in in India, but and that meant actually moving away from home and doing it in a, a place called Pune, which is in in west mm. of India, in the state of Maharashtra. Mm. Um, and talking about you know when 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 I say that my parents said kind of go out and try things there, and we've got your back. Uh, I think with that was also the sense of integrity that that they they pushed in us. And uh, so if I give you an example, an early example of what I did in college. Um, so I was living in a girl's hostel and I clearly remember that, you know, we didn't, I think we didn't have access to hot water. So it was, it was something like that. It was a girl's hostel and, you know, went and tried to approach the nice way of saying we should be having access to, to hot water when you, you know, when you have to get ready before going for your <laughs> classes and, and our, and our, our demands, so to say, weren't being met. And, um, I led the first strike in in college at that time. So this was in my first year of of college, <laughs> learning to become a doctor. And um, and we did that as you know girls from the hostel. And I remember my uh, the the university um, principal calling calling me in, kind of saying that you know you guys have to disband. And, and I was like, okay, we will disband, but provided you promise us that our, you know, needs and demands would be met, but they didn't want to do that. And I remember making a call to my parents at that time. And I said, see, I've just been called in by the principal. And obviously they're going to be threatening, kind of suspending me or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, this this is what I'm fighting for. And uh, and my parents just said, they said, do you think what you're doing is right? And I said, yes. He said, well, go ahead and do it. We've got your back. Anything comes, we'll come and stand with you. And that's exactly what they did. You know, they, you know, there was a threat of suspension, but they came and stood with me and, and, you know, we, we finally got met our something as basic as that, but that was, I think that, but just basically to draw home the point that, that mom and dad really kind of, you know, said, you know, go with where you where you believe your heart is, where your mind is yeah. and, and we've got your, got your back. Um, I then moved to UK again from a sense of curiosity, uh, I think was, uh, was to go and try out what else is is out there, and I came here and I completed my um, membership in Royal, from Royal College of Physicians with hospital training, and was really intrigued by the continuity of care uh, that was, you know, that our general practitioners was provide were providing, and I went on to um, uh, try as well as uh, go into general practice then and got my MRCGP, which is the membership of Royal College of General Practitioners. Um, during the course of this, met met my husband as well, who is a surgeon, who has now become a liver, pancreas, gallbladder surgeon. And Adam, you and I were just talking about the, um, you know, long distance relationships because of medical careers, how we normalize this. So, so me and my husband, mm. I kind of after we got married, we were living in two different cities, each completing our own our own training. He was going on to become a surgeon, and I was going to be a, a GP. Um, 
so we we did that and um, and i completed my training went on to then start practicing as a general practitioner in in kobe which is an um ex ex mining town so a real uh, you know a deprived community and that really was was really good because i you know i really got to connect with my patients and get to know them well as i was also getting to know the art of family medicine as as we call it um and and i did that and i really enjoyed it um then we moved on to nottingham my husband got a surgical training post and we we were going to live together for a bit so we both moved to to nottingham and i that's the place where i really found my practice which which i call as kind of you know became friends like family and um, and the practice grew with me and i i grew with the practice um I would certainly name check somebody called as um, Alistair McLaughlin, who was one of the senior partners there. And he gave me, he again said to me, actually like mom and dad had said to kind of go out and experience what else is out there. And then let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about what, what you really enjoy. And I think by that, he uh, encouraged me to go and look at what is, was then called as a clinical commissioning world, what was really happening in the leadership world out there i i kind of had sense that i was not going to go down the route of becoming a a trainer um but what excited me enthused me was becoming maybe going into the leadership and management and um and that's what i did so i went and tried out clinical commissioning group i started to work within the local medical committee as we just spoke about i started to work with the royal college of general practitioners and became and joined the faculty uh became became a joined the faculty as a treasurer, as a, as a deputy treasurer at that time. And I also started working in out of hours. So, you know, to what was called as NEMS and, um, and also started working in secondary care. So in the acute trust to try to understand the interface, I had an interest in liver medicine. Um, so I started to, to do some sit in observing sessions and as well. So just, I wanted to get like a full holistic view as GPs, as we are, we love our holistic view. So I wanted the same holistic view of the, of the system. So I started to work in different parts of the system and enjoyed it all and, and kind of kept, kept my finger in each pie as just Mm -hmm. as I was evolving. And within the practice, um, I think, as I was saying, the practice gave me a chance to kind of grow with it and it grew with me. I tried loads of things. I did so I did lots of innovative projects. Uh, they wanted me to become a care home GP. It became the most enjoyable part of uh, me being a doctor. I was able to provide continuity of care. And they then asked me to take on actually another care home, which was with 64 residents. I absolutely enjoyed it. And CQC gave us kind of outstanding rating for the care we were providing for mm-hmm. that, which is the regulator. Um, I made our practice research ready. So, you know, we got the accreditation from Royal College of GPs. I made our practice as a park run practice. So we got involved in volunteering for the local park run. Um, I set up bespoke clinics for people who had learning disability, as well as people who were asylum seekers. And I already mentioned to you about care home and we were on course of setting up bespoke clinics for people with, with frailty. So really embracing that continuity of care aspect that I, that I enjoyed. I introduced much before additional roles were introduced within the NHS. I introduced paramedic into the practice. I introduced uh, advanced nurse practitioner as well as a pharmacist. So really embracing that multidisciplinary team team options so this is you know so it gave me it gave me a fertile ground to to introduce new things but what it meant by bringing people do that collaborative style of of leadership and also uh 
then handing it over to other people to then once I had set up a new project, then be able to hand off to other people to run with it so that it was sustainable. So that was my Nottingham journey. And within within the clinical commissioning group as well, I went on to lead on maternity and children's services. I then went on to be a representative for deprived communities. Uh, and then just towards my latter end um, of working in Nottingham, I went on to be a lead for uh, general practice retention um, and, and did lots of work again within that area. And then in January 2020, I think uh, decided to call time on my long distance relationship with the husband and decided we're going to move. <laughs> I'm going to move to move to London um, as I'd been practicing as a GP for, you know, for 12 years already by that time. And I had got a fair bit of experience, um, you know, with me. Um, so I moved to London and January 2020, as I said, I did that in six weeks in um, pandemic struck. I had started as a salaried doctor in one of the practices in London. And um, at that time, I found that there was, um, there was of course, lack of information. Uh, you know, we, we, we were in uncharted uh, territory, but there was a real sense of to, to avoid people getting into panic. I felt there was a real need for um, demonst demonstrable leadership in that space mm -hmm. in the where I was a salaried doctor. And there was lack of that visible leadership when I was at least there. Uh, and I approached, I approached the partners there and I said, you know, well, you know, we're, what's, what's the plan? What are, what are we planning yeah. to do? What? And, and they said, well, do you want to step up and do this? Since I said, well, absolutely. I mean, I've one, I've already been a GP partner, but mm. I also felt the need that there was, you know, there was going to be a, a need for sense of direction. And uh, so I decided to step up into that role and as all of us had to overnight introduce you know kind of online consultations ensured the building was safe started mm -hmm. to hold daily huddle meetings so that everybody was informed from reception to you know our other gps to to nurses and everybody so i i i embraced that and i still had uh, it was really helpful i still maintained one leadership role in nottingham at that time because i could do it remotely which helped you know, provide me the anchoring that I that I required uh, at that time because it was it was difficult times. Um, just during that uh, time, or just before it, actually, uh, we had something that we established called as primary care networks, and we were having new leaders coming through that program. Uh, and um, so I set up this huge WhatsApp group for new leaders so that they could ask all sorts of questions, uh, and this became a good kind of place to exchange information when the guidelines and everything were changing during COVID. So I got to know people nationally, certainly, but also people in different parts of, of the country. Uh, mm -hmm. And so around November 2020 time, I was asked by the national team uh, within NHS England to come and work with them during the pandemic. I think they wanted an extra pair of hands, but they also wanted somebody who had established connection with, with the front line. So I did that work with NHS England over a period of two years and I worked on a plethora of things from, uh, you know, COVID guidance to um, we were seeing, unfortunately, an increase in violence and aggression in practice. So I started to do work on that. How do we um, how do we support our workforce? I did work on hormone replacement therapy. Uh, I did lots of work on uh, GP retention programs as well. So I did that for a period of, of two years. And then um, November 20. 22 that came 
to an end and uh, within my area which is in north central london an opportunity came to become a uh, for apply for a deputy medical director to look after a population of 1.7 million and we have five boroughs in the area um and the uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily work for fir firms. You want to work for, for certain people or with certain people. And there was um, my current medical director, Joseph Raj, who uh, I had kept in touch on and off over the course of three years. I had moved to London. Um, and, and she just was somebody who was extremely compassionate, kind uh, person. And and I had really seen, I said, if I, if I ever get get a chance to work in North Central London, it'll, it will be for her, it will be with her. Mm. Uh, and I got that opportunity to to come. And that was a year ago. And I'm, and I'm so glad I made that decision. So I'm now looking after, I'm the deputy medical director of the ICB. It's, it's still quite an evolving space as to what that really means. Uh, certainly when you're in such a, such a role, some days it can mean as if you are accountable for everything. And there are other days you're feeling, are you really making a meaningful Full difference. Um, so I, I do that. I, as, as I mentioned, I'm also the trustee board member for Royal College of General Practitioners. So I was initially a nationally elected council member. That tenure came to an end, but um, I was elected to the trustee board and I, and I continue with that. Uh, and I continue to practice as a sessional general practitioner, predominantly in the North Central London area. So sorry, I know that was really long winded as to what <laughs> and I hope and maybe that's covered all your other questions. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's a little bit of where I've been, where I am at. And hopefully we can talk about what's happening in the future. Sonali, I absolutely love that, uh, all of that. And um, I'm I'm glad you shared all of that. And I was very happy to just kind of um, sit back and, and just listen to that um, really, really wonderful journey. Um, starting, starting in your childhood um, with your, with your parents and, and, you know, what they taught you and how they, they raised you uh, to be curious and to have integrity and, and fight, fight for, what you believe in and um you know there's this this cute this curiosity um aspect of your personality i think has has just continued throughout your your whole career and uh you know i think there are always things that you've been very uh, you know interested in and interested in the impact of certain things you know like um you know the health of care home residents and um you know the health provision for asylum seekers and 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 all of these sorts of things that you know probably started with a question within yourself as to you know how how do we help these people how do um how do these people get access to healthcare and you know um how can we provide this continuity of care and this curiosity has led to a very uh, innovative and creative um series of uh you know things that you set up really um and uh, endeavors that you that you went on as a as a, a partner in general practice in nottingham um you know like the uh, the care home um initiative and the park run and bringing you know um different types of of, of healthcare practitioners and different clinicians into into general practice so uh you know you you really were um you know spearheading lots of of really interesting initiatives um at that time but it comes from your childhood and and i and i get this you know and, and as i i know you i know this to be true but you're very um you're very values led 
and you know i i, I see that when you were at, at medical school this uh this 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 little kind of uh <laughs> this little dance you got into with the with the principal of <laughs> of your of your medical college in in pune um which which i i uh I know I've I've been I've been to I've been to Pune I've been to a wedding in Pune and um uh my my GP trainer trained in 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 Pune as well um Dr Naresh Sood um and it is uh you know very traditional medical school it's the uh, is it the like the um the the defense like the armed services medical yeah, college yeah, so and it's the equivalent of Oxford or Cambridge in India yeah, so isn't Naresh it Correct. So Naresh was in that in that armed forces medical college, which mm. also happens to be actually the uh, college of my so uh, my father in law. But that was not the medical college I went to. Mm. Um, mm. But but you're right. I think it was there is that little bit of kind of um, kind of do as you told, isn't it? Yeah. As to with a lot of the yeah, yeah. with a lot of the medical colleges. So when you come yeah. in and you suddenly have some people standing up, you know, for their rights. Yeah. It it uh, it was a surprise. Ruffle some feathers for for sure, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and yeah, very uh, very very traditional. And you have to kind of like you know walk walk their line, and um, don't don't step out of line. And uh, yeah, so for, for uh, you know though, and you would have been I don't know, well, how old are you then? Nineteen twenty or you know you. Yeah, I mean yeah, that so. you know, and 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 in a in a bit of a, a bit of a standoff with the with the dean of your medical school. This is you know, and but so beautiful to hear, and and I haven't heard that story before. So thank you so much for sharing that, and that's been lovely for me to hear about your parents. You know, kind of saying, yeah, well, you know, this is what you believe in. This is what you believe to be right. Then you know, take a stand, and we we are there to support you. We've got your back, as you said, and um, you know that that is something that uh, again I think is something that's transcended your your career in that you you do that, you stand up. You know, it's good to have people in your in your corner, but also I think you do the same for for other people as well. And uh, you know what what wonderful learned experiences and you know modeling that you had from your parents. Um, and, um, no, no surprise to me at all that, uh, your, your mum was a, a, a political academic and, uh, you, 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 you know, you kind of went down the medical politics route for, uh, for a good number of years there. Um, but yeah, I think again, what, what else is coming through is your, your collaborative approach. So you, you've got these, um, these initiatives up and running and then when they came to maturity and fruition, you then handed them on because, you know, you, you can't keep micromanaging all of these things when you've got multiple kind of pots on the boil um you need to hand them on so then you know your hob has space for another pot for you to create and, and innovate in another area right um so yeah and, and uh, I, that's, that's something that i do i mean um you know hopefully we'll talk about this later in terms of something called as a next generation gp program and i had the opportunity to go back to uh, nottingham actually recently and and speak to these these upcoming gps and and for me the message to them has always been kind of you know you don't realize that you but you are leaders in in some sense start at a smaller scale so start in your practice you know 
a project that you may have quality improvement project you know the, these are some bu buzzwords that you may come up but this is it's a small project a small initiative that you can start up and then scale up if required but also then you know make sure it's sustainable and hand it over you don't have to be mm -hmm. too protectionist about it mm -hmm. because but everybody also has a different leadership style i would you know uh, yeah, yeah. i totally get that where i can get quite excited with a new initiative with some yeah. innovation that i can be quite excitable with that and then once i've i've got the full process around it i'm quite happy to hand it over for for someone else to run it and and we had people like that in the practice you know those people who were like like the strong foundation and they were quite happy to then almost babysit that project and make mm -hmm. sure that it would just tick along year on yeah. year and and provide the results that it needed to um so getting over that but getting over that hesitancy of taking yeah. on something new and run with it and if it means that you that for some reason it doesn't it doesn't turn out to be the way if you that you had thought or planned that's okay that's yeah. okay too you know it's you've at least tried and yeah. and then you would have learned for the next time yeah. uh you know, we 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 do remember that that you know we kind of remember all the good things. It's good, but but you know, one of the surgeons like um, Henry Marsh that you, you know people may or may not necessarily know about know about him, but he talks about you know all surgeons carry a uh, a cemetery in their heart of all the patients that they have lost, and mm. um, you know you learn from that. You learn mm. from your failures. You learn from what you could do better next time. So I think it is about the going in and trying that yeah, and then learning from it for the next time so that you can improve. Oh, that's, um, that's, that's beautiful. That, um, that quote by Henry, Henry Marsh there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, so, so I love that. So you, um, you appreciate that, you know, you may, you may have a vision, but actually the, the end product after you've handed it on may be different from your vision. The things things evolve. You know, you you accept that things evolve. Um, whereas there are other people who you know it's their it's their baby, and they just need to keep you know watching it grow grow up and keep it keep it within those boundaries of what their original vision was whereas you're like no you know let it it takes a lot of these things like my show it's, it's taken on a life of its own you know yeah. um and um i think you're you're a master of kind of letting things go some people are not very good at, at letting things go and it's like yeah let 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 it run free i've seen it i've seen it kind of get to a certain stage and uh, it's time to 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 delegate the the kind of supervision of it to someone else so that I have time because you know you can't just keep adding projects in and holding on to all the projects because that's a recipe for burnout, right? So you you need to hand stuff on so that you can um in you know kind of express and explore your your innovation and your and your creativity. Um, so I love that, and uh, and there's a strong thread of as well, um you stepping up you know i think when you're given opportunities you you step up so i think opportunities are there for all of us if we care to see them um opportunities can be created by all of us um to an extent and i think you are a real go-getter i think you make things happen i mean i think the that you ended up working for your for the medical director in north central london uh part of that was timing you know the, the the timing of the universe everything aligned 
beautifully but equally you know if you hadn't put in some kind of groundwork and even got to to know this person um joe um savage you said um then this may never have happened for you so you i think you you do step up you step into um roles and you step into opportunities so um just getting a really good um overall picture of of your of your style and uh i think it's a a wonderful wonderful leadership uh style wheel which actually does bring us on to the next question as to what you you consider um to be your personal leadership style at, at the moment as we've said things things evolve right and actually yeah. you know the more of this i do the more you know i appreciate that we're all kind of employing different leadership traits at different times of the day when in interactions with different people but do you have a sort of a, uh, an overriding kind of style that kind of keeps you keeps you grounded as a leader, sort of thing? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I mean, you know, situations kind of demand sometimes the type of leader that you are and the yeah. type of leadership style that you that you may may adopt. Um, I think my style is more democratic and mm -hmm. uh, more affiliative. Um, mm -hmm. I and I am then able to also. So I was just I was just thinking uh, while actually walking into work today as to because there are certain projects that that I am leading on and what is my leadership style that has that I'm kind of using currently. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, th I think democratic is probably where I would tend to to land. It's important for me to hear all the voices that are there mm. around the table and for them to be able to to contribute and to come up with. Um, with what that end product then may may look like, yeah. um, there are there are certain you know uh, there are certain challenging situations that we are going through right now, and I think I don't I keep coming back to well for me it's well how is it affecting the patient, and equally how is it affecting the workforce, and mm -hmm. I think for me it's making sure that I think about those two elements, important key elements of our yeah. healthcare at the heart of it. So I totally get, you know, people, there are a lot of people who sometimes only talk about the patients, which is important. It's core. It's what get, gets us out of work every day, out of our mm. beds every day. Mm. But I think it's so important to look after the workforce. Yeah. Because it's going to, if, if your workforce is happy, then they're going to look after the patients that they're yeah. meant to serve. So I really think it's important to think about both those key elements. And, and we're going through certain challenges currently, which is disproportionately impacting the workforce sometimes more as opposed mm -hmm. to, to patients. We, we know with the challenges that we're going through with regards to waiting list, financial challenges and otherwise. Um, and I think my style of leadership is also acknowledging that challenge head on, kind of mm -hmm. saying that, you know, yes, we are in this um, it's it's difficult it's tough but how do we work together to try to move to the next step so i think that's a very democratic way that um, i tend to to practice certainly when you're in such situations i think in such roles as well i've also seen when if we talk about in the integrated care board as i said sometimes you know when you're in a role such as a deputy medical director um a lot of the times i heard he, you know, go back to, well, what is it that we are doing? What is my role in this? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's said about convening people together. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to be convening the people together, then it's important that we ensure that each one of them has the opportunity and the voice at the table. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I think that's where I am 
currently. Um, maybe at some stage or in certain projects when, you know, when I've done those innovative projects, I may have been, you know, that kind of transformative leader with with a positive disruptor in terms of challenging the status quo as to, well, why is it that we're doing it this way? What's the purpose? I keep going back to as to what's the purpose? Why are we doing this? Um, so I think in certain situations, I would have used that. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's currently probably probably where I am at is just mm. ensuring, bringing people around, bringing people together and ensuring that they, they all feel included with somebody they feel included at least in that process the decision mm. that is finally made will sometimes in, unfortunately may not go in favor of everyone but at least yeah. they've all had their say yeah absolutely um that's that's brilliant thank you thank you so much for for sharing that um yeah i get get this uh yeah real sense of um as you say democratic affiliative collaborative inclusive leadership style that is your your overarching style but as you say sometimes um you know the situation demands it and you need to maybe be a little bit more authoritative in in, in some situations or you know more coaching or more you know visionary or whatever whatever that whatever that particular project um requires um but yeah uh and i love the way you uh you know you you very um pragmatically address the fact that yes i am i am a democratic leader i do want to include everyone and hear everyone's voice um but you you know you can please some of the people some of the time but you can't please all of the people all the time right so that's you know the downside of democratic leadership isn't it that you're going to upset some people because you have to you have to make a decision a decision has to be made and if it if it rests with you um but as you said you've heard you've heard all the voices you've you've um, everyone has had an input and um and you know they they uh they then at least can't turn around and say well she you know she made this decision and she didn't even kind of like ask for our our opinion on on such and such so um i think that's the the you know the, that's the best way to kind of be a democratic leader um and deal with that tension between hearing everyone um but not not being able to please everyone so um and i think you you handle it um really uh you know masterfully so so thank you um so actually um the next question is is about your journey to leadership and and as as you said you you've you've shared quite quite a lot of that but just to kind of um you know uh, nail that that down a little bit um you know for for me to kind of um, make uh, an, an order of it in in my mind and for the listeners so that um, maybe there are, uh, you know, some junior general practitioners um, listening who think, well, you know, uh, what were the sort of stepping stones, if you like? Um, can you sort of paint with some broad broad strokes um, about, you know, because I, I, you know, I get the idea that you you know, you were, you were clinical first and then you started to get involved in projects within your, your practice and you were a, a partner in the, in the GP surgery. And so you had that leadership role as, as a partner. Um, but also you were leading up on several, um, in, innovations within, within the practice, within the surgery. Um, and you were getting involved in things uh, like um, Alistair suggested, you know, like so the 
clinical commissioning group, the CCG, and and so you start to do things with them, and just and and so just kind of can you just tell us the sort of different levels of things in in order as to how it went, please. Yeah. So as, as I said, I think in the practice, I um I would probably kind of just break that down into that people automatically think so leadership is a, we automatically link it to a role. And, you know, mm. because I was a partner, I was a leader. And I think leadership mm. is more a verb. It's the act of doing. Mm. Uh, mm. And I think even though I joined as a partner at that time, and they were, you know, we were a good skill mix. There was one of the partners who was just very solid clinically. You know, he mm. was the person you knew day in and day out, you know, come hail, storm, snow, whatever. He would be the person <laughs> who would be who would be there Uh come whatever may and you know and that was his skill set and and he was very clear about it that that's what that's what gave him joy uh mm. every day was to be there he he could be a safe pair of hands to rely on so i think in the practice i um uh, it was not something that came naturally certainly to me as i said mm. i i tend to um something that i don't understand very well i tend to grab it with both hands and um, and then I'd want to find out more about it, learn about it, and then give it my own shape. I tend to create it the way I, I feel, at least at that time, it is going to become something. And I think that's what I did at the at the practice, whether that was, as I mentioned, about about the care home. It was, it was something that was given to me because the GP who was there before me or the person I replaced was used to look after the care home. And when I joined and I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do here because it was not a part of my training. It was not something I had done as I was training to become a GP. But I gave it gave it my own shape, color. And, you know, and I started to see results, which was, I think, really, really useful uh, mm. results at that time were, you know, having getting to know the residents, getting to know families that were there. And these were people who had contributed to the society in Nottingham. I think what was really great for me to know about all their background story was you know people who have really contributed to society how do mm. i ensure that their last one year 18 months is you know i can really give them that comfortable um, peace and that you know the life that they probably wanted um so i did lots of small scale projects in in the practice and i said it you know it was a kind of kind of a fertile ground that was there but i was also given the space to to go and innovate and i did that um and and I had an interest in liver medicine. Um, mm. So my appraiser actually, one of the good things that came, comes out came out of appraisal was my appraiser actually introduced me to a secondary care specialist, so a, a liver specialist at Queen's uh, Queen Medical University. Um, and and I went and again just introduced myself and then and I said, can I start to sit in your clinics? And I started to sit in those clinics and then realized that actually a lot of the patients that he was seeing, they didn't need to come to see him. You know, there was mm. stuff that we could have done in the community. Um, and just through talking with, with them, talking to people in the clinical commissioning group, came up with the plan that we wanted to introduce what was called as the fibro scanners that we could do in the community by nurses and also change our liver disease stratification pathway. Now, it became a bit of a financial win case because you know people would not have to one you know we wouldn't have to spend x amount of money for i think it was 250 pounds for whatever the first consultant appointment as opposed to 47 pounds that you would have spent for a community fibro scan um 
but we also started to look at it differently in terms of liver diseases. You know, we, we know that liver disease in terms of its mortality is just increasing across the world, across UK, given the increase in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as well as alcoholic liver disease and increase in hepatitis B and C. Um, so I did, so this was kind of from my, my practice work, how I started to almost show to the clinical commissioning group as to what, what value I could bring, because I was trying to reduce the, um, or improve the primary care, secondary care interface, and also work towards improving patient outcomes and also ensuring our workforce experience was, was good. And I made myself kind of known within clinical commissioning group. You know, you have to, I mean, and you know this, Adam, that the, the journey of leadership for, any, for anyone who's working, whether in general practice or for that matter, even in secondary care, but, but more so in primary care and general practice, you have to chart out your own path. There mm. isn't a streamlined path that, the, you know, you do this and the next thing you can do this and this is how you become a medical yeah. leader. Uh, it's a lot dependent on putting your head above the parapet, raising your hands, whether asking questions or, in sh you know, going that extra mile and saying, I'm going to be able to, I can do this. So that's how I think I got myself known at the clinical commissioning group. This was not mm. in any formal role initially, but I started to work with them. And then, and then as opportunity came, and now when you say this, I'd probably use the same strategy at North Central London. I'd mm. started to get myself known. I'd started to deliver uh, and then, you know, wait for the right opportunity to come and then apply for that and then get get selected. Um, so then I started to work in the clinical commissioning group, which was at a different scale because this was now at a Nottingham City scale. So practice mm. level was 12,000 population. Nottingham City was 350 thousand uh, population that was there and I started to work towards maternity and children's services and then at different levels in in the board my next sort of say level step up was to work across the Nottinghamshire uh, integrated care system which is 1.1 mm. million population which was in the GP retention area and we started to look at various programs that we could introduce across uh, Nottingham and Nottinghamshire and um, and we had we had some really great projects for, you know, kind of mid-career people. I think the, I think probably the one that I'm most um, happy about and, and probably give a shout out to Gemma Wilkinson because she did a lot of heavy lifting for this project was the program for mid-career GPs. Uh, so we had, you know, we had some retention programs that were there for early career and late careers, but we had forgotten this huge amount of contribution, again, done by mid-career GPs like you and me. And we introduced a fellowship program where they could do some work at either practice level or at primary care network level. And we introduced that for all PCNs uh, within, within Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. So that was, so we did lots of retention programs like that, that we had mm. introduced. And one of the legacies from that was the sponsorship um, program. So again, I'll give a, give a shout out to Nicole Atkinson, who was my boss at that time in the retention lead program. Both of us had come for uh, a conference on health and care women leaders network to London. Uh, and we heard about this sponsorship program, which I can talk about more in detail. But um, on the way back in our train journey, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm in Nottingham. I'm in Midlands, but they're still not women like me. They're not there in those decision rooms. They're not on those leadership tables. What's missing here? What's, you know, why is it about why? Am I just the lucky one? And if I am the lucky one, I don't want to be the lucky one. I want to ensure that there is a system put in place so that there is um, 
we can streamline this people who well-deserved, maybe even more experienced than me, more informed than me should be around those tables. So, so Nicole and I kind of then said, she said, well, okay, I'll back you. And why don't you see what we can do in this space? And the sponsorship program in a kind of a nutshell was matching um, two people uh, in, they could be in the same system or two people, one slightly more junior, one more senior, match them up according to their skill set, if you can. And this sponsor becomes kind of your active promoter, active cheerleader, opens up doors for you. So it takes on a more active role as compared to being your mentor or being your coach. So really invest their social capital into you. Mm. Um, so that's where kind of the program came from. So we said we'll do this initially for Nottingham, but then since the program we thought had merit, we said we'll do it for all of the uh, Midlands. So we decided to go for 11 integrated care systems. And where we thought we'll probably have a handful of people put their hands up, we had 80 participants. Wow. Um, and that's been, so we've just come to the evaluation of it. The program got shortlisted for, again, um, Health Service Journal, Healthcare Service Journal Award. Uh, and and I think that was the reason probably I got uh, as well, uh, you know, awarded as the rising star. But this was really a program. And I still get emails from people who say, you know, you set up this program. And at that time, I didn't, I wasn't entirely sure what that end result is going to be. I just knew that I think if there was somebody who was actively invested in you, is able to not just guide you through it, but actually, you know, shine a light on you. Mm. become kind of the shine that spotlight on you and that's what this program began and also I think within the peers it it really helped because we built a community together so that was then around the 11 integrated care systems the program that I introduced then I think the next step was the um, uh, national level when I went on to work with NHS England and started to introduce programs there and I think one of the ones that I'm again most proud of is, as I said, there was unfortunately an increase in violence and aggression, uh, you know, against our workforce in general practice. And we were, we were looking at two or three things, how best we can support practices. And um, so one was that kind of one end of the spectrum, ensure that within our regulations, there's enough support for the workforce that if there has been violence and aggression or racism or harassment, that these people, you know, that you're adequately one providing them warning where it is and where if things have crossed that mark, then unfortunately you will have to, you know, uh, remove them from your list, but, and then ensure that what is the other system for uh, taking on these patients, because it's important that they still get the medical care that, that they require. So this was one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum was actually, how do we start to prevent situations escalating so mm. we set up some training for our receptionist as well as our care navigators which you know given that the challenging times we are how do you ensure that you de-escalate the situation at mm. the, the reception or whatever and then in the middle ground we organize in, introduce a program for patients and the idea actually came from like you have uh, when you've done some sort of uh, driving error and you know you you can go for these I'm forgetting the classes, isn't it? Um, for um, in case you're driving at 35 in a, in a 30 mile zone. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Speed awareness go, courses. Correct. So speed yeah. awareness courses. So I yeah. so 
So that was the kind of thinking behind that. If, let's say, a patient has gone through, for whatever reason, there has been some challenges, are we able to get people together and just kind of not just show the impact of it, but also how do we ensure that we prevent escalation of these situations? Yeah. And that we had introduced that as a as a pilot as yeah. well. Um, so I think I was quite happy with the kind of program, you know, unhappy with what we were trying to address here, but ensuring yeah. that we try to think about what can we proactively do about it uh, rather than just having to reactively, you know, go on to social media because we, we knew that wasn't going to resolve necessarily everything. Yeah. Um, so that was at the national level. And then I went on to do some, do some work on hormone replacement therapy. And it was good to see it, you know, kind of come up with the prescription charges that we've been able to change around it. Um, so then from the national now at the North Central Len London um, level, so now back at the system stage, which, you know, looking after 1.7 million population, some of the things that, you know, again, working on certain certain projects that I'm quite um, keen on. Um, but the, I think probably one of the other things that has changed in this is I am now also kind of professionally accountable for the clinical directors who are working in the boroughs. So that is something that has recently mm. changed, uh, yeah. you know, and that's not something that we do quite regularly in our GP leadership roles where you're um, professionally also managing your peers. Yeah. Um, so that's been a bit of a learning learning curve and continues continues to be um, yeah. because that's probably one thing with that democratic leadership uh, style. Um, how do you, you know, sometimes when people are not performing, then how do yeah. you ensure that you're able to uh, um, address that? Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for kind of clarifying all of that and giving um, ex examples because I think what, what is really shining through for me is that um as you say you kind of charted your own path and you've been and you have been opportunistic um for sure in a in a in a really really positive way but i th i think the the underlying um trait is that you had a real as i think you said you were you were i think you've underplayed it. you said you were quite keen on on these things i think actually some of these um areas that you've got involved in you actually were very passionate about. Um, I think that I think it's that really real strong interest in something that kind of led you to want to, you know, that again the curiosity dig dig a bit deeper, find out what's going on, say with care homes, for example, you know, what's what's actually going on, and and how can I improve it, and then you kind of get you embark on a sort of quality improvement project. Um, same with like the liver disease you had this you know you have a background as a sort of internal um, medicine um, specialty trainee um, before you did general practice and and so you did medicine uh, you know in more detail and so you like you had this interest in in liver and hepatology and, and so on it's like yeah I really want to know how we can actually really help outcomes for people in the community and actually make it a more cost-effective way of doing it so you know again it's like this this over you know overriding interest it's like a real um itch that you had to scratch i need to find out more about it and i need to make it better and you've 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 kind of like moved from you know quite um you know seamlessly you've moved from kind of project to project of things that you've been interested in you've you've your career is one of doing things that have piqued your interest that you've had a passion about 
that have led to a mission and and a vision and and that has actually gone hand in hand with your uh, your promotions and your ascension you know up through the ranks uh, because actually people probably unbeknownst to to you at the time you are coming on their radar as someone who's doing really good work you know this person is doing really good work on uh gp workforce retention uh and the sponsorship program and things like that you're doing great work so um she is someone that we want to kind of take take on and use within our organization um and i think i think that's you know really really shines through and that's a good lesson good lesson for people there in that if they f- follow their interests and follow their 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 passions um that it doesn't seem like it's, it probably didn't seem like work for you it was a joy for you to do these things and that's what's shining through you're giving off these vibes of i am doing something i'm really interested in and i'm really good at and i'm I'm making a name for myself almost inadvertently. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fair reflection, uh, Adam. And I think uh, sometimes it's quite helpful to hear um, from another person. And if that person's your peer colleague, even even better to 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 just piecing it all together, things that may have happened in you know in space, time, distance. But it's um, good to hear that that. Perhaps there is some um, big plan out there <laughs> that <laughs> that one is following, or or is it just you know what feels like you're charting your own journey as you're going along? But but maybe there is there is some other big plan. That's true. Yeah, you know we never know. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Appreciate that. Um, okay, so earlier in the conversation, um, you've mentioned a couple of people who were um, important to you professionally, um, doctors Alistair McLaughlin and uh, Nicole Atkinson, both of whom were your seniors in in different organisations that you worked in, and uh, listening to the way you you describe you know, them and uh, your relationship with them. They, they supported you. Um, they helped you rise. They were, they were inspiring. They were, you know, quite um, pivotal, really people that you've, you've worked with as you um, have gone along on this uh, journey. Um, are there, is there anyone else um, that has kind of helped you um, perhaps more recently that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I think I think two people probably come to mind. One is probably Nikki Kanani, who is now the ex primary care medical director from NHS England, and um, uh, and probably more recently, and and still someone I'm working with is Dr. Joe Savage, who is the chief medical officer of North Central London Integrated Care Board. Um, one of the common themes probably I, I've seen within my you know when I've reached out to people to to mm. be my mentors is I've 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 not held back. I, you know, I think I've taken the the policy or strategy is that you know, kind of reach out to people and and say, can you give me your five minutes or ten minutes? And yeah. usually that happens to be more time that they're always happy to offer to you. Yeah. And and I've taken up on that offer now. You know, Nikki Kanani, I had first, of course, seen on Twitter, which is now called X, and I had just reached out to her on on that and uh, and built a relationship. And then she she uh, invited me to work with her in NHS England, which having that national role really gave me an oversight of what's happening across across the country. And she was actually also instrumental in uh, introducing me to Dr. Joseph Arj when I moved to London. Um, which was back in 2020. And then I just kept in touch with Joe. Um, 
Joe Sovages is really a consummate leader. And, and I think what I love about her is that now that I'm, so I'm her deputy, I'm a deputy medical director working with her. And she was really one of the key reasons why I wanted to work in that organization is that she has protected me in terms of not overexposing me to when, you know, just this new role that had come up. So she was not overexposing me, but she was also giving me the opportunity to go and try things out and to find my own way around it, to build my own relationships and networks. But she told me she had my back. And right. on um, multiple occasions, you know, when I've been going through some very challenging conversations, which, you know, she, um, you know, we have remote meetings. I've I've had, you know, kind of just messages from her to say, I'm, I'm around if you need me. Um, yeah. But I also have faith in you that you can manage this situation. Um, yeah. And I just I just think that is um, some brilliant qualities. You know, you there are there are going to be challenging situations that we're all going to come across. And, mm. and um, but for someone to take you within their wings and allow you to grow as well, but yeah. equally just gently support you that you're there, you know, watching from the sides um, and give you some very helpful hints and tips when when needed so I think Joe has been I I'm I'm still loving working with her and I think it's um it's a great opportunity yeah that's uh that's really lovely to hear um it, it sounds like she's really nurturing you um and kind of you know it, encouraging you to thrive um but within this safe space um so you know do you do you feel like you can make mistakes um you know, kind of without any repercussions uh, as a result. Yeah, and, and she, you know, she would give you constructive feedback on that, uh, which yeah. is, again, helpful. Um, yeah. Doesn't overburden me uh, yeah. with with work, but equally challenges me to say, you know, kind yeah. of this, how do I get outside my comfort zone? Yeah. And so I would say from, I mean, the, the lesson for me, you know, and, you know, if you think that there's somebody out, out there who you want to work with or uh, you would benefit from even just connecting, then then yeah. take that step. Uh, especially we feel that with senior leadership, you know, that, oh, my God, they may not have time or they may not respond. At least put in the effort from your side. What's the worst that will happen is that they won't yeah. respond. Uh, yeah. And more times than not, they will always respond. And you'd be surprised with that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's very true. Um, I yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. I think uh you know, being being opportunistic and being speculative um can often, you know, pay dividends. Um I think sometimes it's difficult for doctors to have that confidence, that courage to to do that. Um but as you say, what what's the what's the worst that can happen that you know, they just they just don't reply. You know, no, no nothing bad is going to come of it, right? And and like with anything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, it yeah. it is a bit of a practice thing, and it's about us pushing us out out you know out of that comfort zone. So previously, I remember when I used to go for um, you know for any sort of meetings or dinners or whatever, I would very quickly gravitate towards people who looked like me or people that I had known. Now yeah. I'm quite intentional in yeah. putting myself in a situation where people I don't know, people who don't look like me. So be yeah. intentional about it, uh, that, you know, you're placing yourself in such, such situations. And yeah. um, 
it may feel awkward initially, certainly, but with practice, it'll yeah. come. I mean, we we have these interactions with our patients, don't we, all the yeah. time? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes every fifteen minutes, and we yeah. build a rapport very quickly. So yes. maybe it's one of our hidden skill set that we just need to explore more. Yeah, I yeah, that's very true. Um, and what you're describing is a is a wonderful example of of growth mindset and. As you say, you know, doctors uh, do do this. They, um, you know, have challenging communication scenarios all of the time. Um, and we do we do hard things all of the time. You know, doctors do uh, difficult things all of the time. And this is just another thing that maybe starts off difficult or maybe we build it up in our minds that it's difficult. And we just need to, um, yeah, work on chipping away at that that narrative um, and saying, well, it's just like one of the other difficult things we do in our day-to-day -day job. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Um, okay, um, so whether, I mean, on, on, on your journey, have you um, experienced any any challenges that you're that you're happy to talk about and, and just describe a bit um, how you coped with them and moved past them just for the, the benefit of the listeners if they find themselves in... So similar situations, please. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we all face challenges, isn't it? Because if you're not, mm. if you're not facing challenges, you're probably not, not um, actively taking part in something or leading on something, yeah. I think perhaps. True. Um, so yes, I've had that, whether be it at practice level or, you know, the clinical commissioning group level, or even, or even now something that I'm, I'm trying to deal with. And maybe, in terms of if I would go to the principles of how I address that is going back to the purpose, you know, mm. why that, that, why am I doing this? What's mm. the purpose behind this? So, and I can give examples, you know, at practice level, when, while, when you're a portfolio general practitioner and you're doing mm. multiple things, people can sometimes question your, um, uh, the sense of responsibility you may feel, mm towards your, you know, kind of place of work because you've got your fingers in like 10 pies yeah. and therefore the practice may question you. Well, how responsible do you feel towards the practice or the practice workforce or your patients? Mm. Um, so you go back to kind of take a pause, just reflect um, as to why are you doing what you're doing? So for me, it was mm. visiting, well, why do I want to be a portfolio GP? How does the practice benefit from it? How do yeah. I benefit from it? And then also thinking, well, my sphere of influence is now growing. So how does the population of, at that time, Nottingham City benefits from yeah. it? So I think it's going back to that core purpose um, yeah. as to why you're doing it. When I'm now dealing with multiple stakeholders uh, and coming across those challenging situations, I think it's something about walking in their shoes to then mm. try to understand, well, what is driving this behavior? Yeah. What what lies behind this story? What you may not be seeing in this big meeting, um, but what really lies behind it? And, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm going through particular situations. I've then tried to reach out to people again. What's the worst going to happen? They're not going to respond to your email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but reaching out to them and saying, I'm here to listen. I'm, you know, um, let's let's just take out 10 to 15 minutes. Um. So it's about trying to hear their story and 
you know, do authentic listening. You're not just doing it for the sake of it. You're really trying to listen and learn as to what is the challenge that they are having. Probably the next step after that is there are to see if there is a common ground. Mm. Is there something that I can, you know, I have leverage on or some sort of meeting point in the middle that we may. But then also maybe the last thing is sometimes to accept that unfortunately there are going to be some winners and losers here. But yeah. having that honesty, that transparency about the process um, would at least make everyone feel that they've been genuinely heard generally try to do something for everyone and see if there's a win-win situation. But if there isn't, we leave on good terms so that if there was a future opportunity to work again, we would be able to do that. So I think that's probably the way I tried to deal with most of the challenging situations. And um, and again, you know, I've, I've as I said, I work with a brilliant chief medical officer, so I, I get a chance to bounce off ideas with her to say, well, what strategies are going to going to work, and um, and maybe getting, you know, my husband works in secondary care, so um, I tend to bounce off ideas with him, and it's it's fascinating that I was just speaking to him yesterday, and we we were watching some series on Netflix, and um, uh, some of the kind of strategies that come out of these programs <laughs> you'd be surprised so we are watching currently um i think he's watching grisilda <laughs> okay and uh one of the one of the actual episodes is called as uh, middle management <laughs> right <laughs> so it's it's you know i mean i would say probably to that point kind of cross sectors you can see yeah. people having similar sort of challenges. This this was a totally different <laughs> um, yeah. uh, challenge that they were having. But but equally, I remember reaching out to you know through this um, Asian women uh, group, somebody who was working in the um, uh, banking uh, sector, and you know managed to speak with her. And they they were having similar challenges. Or somebody that I spoke to within who was working in police. Um, and how they deal with it. So sometimes it's quite helpful to understand also cross-sector people, what they're doing. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good point, actually. Um, because, you know, we whatever industry we're working in, we're kind of exposed to people within that industry, we're sort of working in a, in a silo. Um, and often there's this kind of victim thing isn't there of people within different industries oh you know it's just it's just me that's experiencing these hardships these challenges but actually certainly within um public service and and you know the public sector um it's the same in uh healthcare social care other emergency services like you you um say the police force for example um and you know we're, we're all experiencing the similar kind of challenges usually from you know kind of governmental um cutbacks and and so on um but also having similar personalities that we're interacting with um uh, working with the public working with uh colleagues who can be can be challenging at times so that's a that's a really good point and it just reminds you that yeah you're not alone and kind of dissipates a bit of that kind of victimhood thing doesn't it it's like oh well you know 
everyone's experiencing it that doesn't make it right but everyone's experienced it and we're all in it together kind of thing so there's yeah. no point in us getting antagonistic towards the police force because they're asking us to do certain things as doctors mm. and mm. and so on so um i yeah i like that um that's a really good point thank you i don't think i've i've heard that one before so um yeah and so just kind of going back to what you you started saying at the beginning um with anyone who has a a portfolio career whether it's in in medicine or anything else um and in medicine it's you've got your your clinical bit of your job and then your your other bits you know be they leadership education role um you know advisory consultancy you know medical politics these these sorts of different things but as you said um you it can often feel like you're being pulled in in several directions we we always sort of say don't we that um when you when you work part-time in general practice in family medicine actually it's almost like um you're doing uh full-time work within part-time hours and it never really stays being part-time hours because it always kind of the work always bleeds outside of your contracted hours um so but if you uh, try to maintain, you know, your boundaries and be assertive, then people are questioning your commitment and your loyalty. Oh, well, you know, you're, you're not really interested in general practice. You're just doing it to maintain your credibility for your other roles and and whatever. And um, it can be difficult, you know, working for different organizations at the same time. Um, and, and, you know, all of them might be saying, you're not really committed to this particular role. Um and you know, I it, it's uh, you know what what you say about sort of almost like having to prove to them that you are committed to that job that you turn up for on a Tuesday, um, and yeah, I mean, I I yeah, I always found that um, it was it was more that you were, you were trying to protect yourself from being given so much work that it was going to impact on your your other roles, you know, especially when you're doing something in the morning and then you're at a different organisation in the afternoon that you've got to travel to and and so on. It can be really, really tricky. So thanks for um thanks for reminding us about that. Um and I loved your um, you know, uh, when these challenges arise, just going always going back to the the kind of Simon Sinek, what is your why? remembering what your why is okay so having a difficult time you know this this practice manager is kind of having a bit of a go at me questioning my my commitment to to my clinical role um and i feel that's unfair and um i'm very committed to this role but equally looking at the bigger picture i'm working on a population scale in my other job mm -hmm. that's actually going to benefit the, the patients of this practice um mm -hmm. So that's, that's really good. Always kind of like just reverting to what is your why can keep in mind that whatever difficulties you're facing, um, there is a reason for it and it is worth it. Um, you talked about walking in other shoes. So again, when you're dealing with lots of stakeholders um, in, you know, going back to the police force, you know, sometimes we do have to, as, as clinicians have to deal with the, uh, the police force, you know, just think, well, okay, they're being quite forceful and challenging but why is it what's what's their story what's the story behind why they're being like this you know um so i love that so the kind of just very empathic um thinking about why are they 
why they've been challenging and and kind of um pushing pushing back on me um this is the reason you know um and it makes it a bit more palatable doesn't it um active listening you talked about just just really just giving people time um a bit like how you said you you know you you say to your mentors can i have 5 10 minutes just really offering that time and and being present um and and listening um and i i really like this accepting there'll be winners and losers in all circumstances that yeah that's 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 so so true um and as you said but try trying you know accepting that with you know with pragmatism with humility with grace um such that the relationship between the winners and the losers in in any given situation is is maintained as a good relationship so that you're not you know burning bridges you could you can still go back to those people in the future if you need to um and then finally i think you talked about um using your mentors uh, and advisors and other contacts you know in, in this case you know if if your if your spouse happens to work in a, a different part of the health sector getting their getting their spin on things getting a sense a sense check from them uh, when we're feeling a bit kind of irate about something i find that's quite useful they they put the things into mm -hmm. perspective my wife's also a secondary care um consultant but yeah going back to your mentors that's what they're there for isn't it it's like oh I'm facing a really challenging situation at the moment. You know, this is, you know, this is the story from, from my side. How would you, what would you do? How would you um, respond to this? So I think that's all fantastic advice. Um, really appreciate that. Um, so um, yeah, in addition to that, um, that really excellent um, wisdom around negotiating uh, your way through these kind of, day-to-day uh, -day work challenges um do you have any advice for the listeners on on how they can become strong kind leaders i mean i have as i said at the beginning of the podcast known you um quite a number of years now and uh, i've seen you i've seen you rise and i've been very um proud to to see your ascension and um the way you've handled everything with um yeah just such uh such grace i think um so I, I definitely see you as a, a a strong a strong person. I mean, I know you personally. I, I know you're a strong person, um, and a strong leader um, as well. And 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 kind. You, you, you're just uh, yeah. You're just very, um, just very nice and friendly. And and just yeah, as you say, you listen to people and you demonstrate empathy for people. You know, you are a very kind leader. Do you, do you have any tips on how? if we're not feeling like we're strong and we need to, you know, kind of improve, improve that, um, or, you know, working on kindness, you know, um, are there any, are any tips that you have on, on how to do that? I think for me, it's about, um, I let a lot of my personal life probably spill over into the professional life. And I am in some way, that's my work life flow. So, you know, when we talk about bringing your whole self to to work, mm. um, I think I've always, always done that. And to be mm. able to then share that vulnerability, uh, which, you know, we feel that that's, that's big word, big actions. But, um, you know, in my practice, I would, when I was working, I used to share this really, this good relation, my second 
secretary and she would know what's happening in my house. And if there was some sort of um, challenges that I was having, I was able to to share that. And I think mm. to be able to share that with someone just in itself brings a strength to mm. yourself as well as then the kindness that you can, when you're sharing it with someone, it almost it comes back to you as as well. Mm. Um, so I think to bring your whole whole self, your work is not about leaving you know, this, this is my personal life, I'm mm. ending this, and I'm putting up this face now as I enter into my my work area. Um, it's again, giving yourself permission to, to try and then to, let's not call it fail. We, I've learned this, don't call it fail, call it fall. And then you rise again after that. So, yeah. you know, try and fall and then try and fall. And, and that's how you're going to learn because that's, you know, we should give ourselves the same advice that we give to our patients. Um, at times, so being being kind to yourself mm. would also mean being, you know, uh, being kind to then then others. And and I think we therefore not compartmentalizing it that this is how I'm going to give advice to my patients, but I completely save a different sort of um, advice for myself. Um, pausing, just pausing and reflecting. You know, I. I I now write uh, a journal, and for me, that's quite helpful in terms of reflecting. I may not necessarily be going through the writing down the emotions that I was feeling at that time, but it just gives me the time to reflect back on it. Um, and I think that in itself helps me for the next time, perhaps, to have a little bit more strength, more courage to be able to to deal with with the next situation that is going to be there. Um, surround yourself with, you know, uh, people who, they say surround yourself with people who are smarter, but surround yourself with people who are kind, uh, mm -hmm. you know, who mm -hmm. have that empathy. Um, it is, um, you know, it's together that you're coming, you're going to be able to build something beautiful. So surround yourself with those people, now, whether that is your mentors, your coach, your sponsors, your peers, um, and I think lift as you climb. Make sure mm. you're keeping the door open for those who are following you. Uh, you know, keep that ladder down for the people who are who are following you, because it's a bit of a virtuous cycle, isn't it? And uh, mm. as much as you put in, you will you will get back in the other way around. So it's it's a it. All of these are learned skills. And uh, the more you practice them, the better you'll get it. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I've written lots of notes there. Uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing tips there. Um, so, yes, um, be authentic and, and you know, be vulnerable um, when it's when it's appropriate. Bring your whole self to work um you know because actually it does you're right it does help um for other people to contextualize things doesn't it if you uh can't come in that day and you just you just phone up and say i i can't come in and you you know you play your cards very close some people are very um yeah secretive, secretive may not be be the word but you know pr prefer to keep their personal problems to themselves think, and yeah. and their their inner sanctum right um and they don't, you know, they're literally saying, I can't, you know, I can't come into work. Well, then, you know, there are, a lot, there are lots of questions then in the mind of the recipient of that 
um message um whereas if you you know if you say like with your secretary you phone up and and she knows that you're you know you're moving house or or something big is going on it's like i can't I can't come in because of, you know, as you know, so this is going on. And like, yeah, yeah, don't don't give it a second thought. You know, they just un people understand. People are more or more willing to understand them um, uh, if they if they sort of know a, a bit of what's going on. Um, mm. you, know, you don't necessarily have to share all of your um, all of the gory details of your personal life, but um, it's um, kind of appro appropriate sharing, isn't it? To appropriate vulnerability. Um, uh, I think you're right. You... Context, yeah, yeah, yeah. contextualizing yeah. it, and yeah. it's then doesn't come almost like a left field. Yeah, 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 um, and you know, different different people are uh, comfortable with sharing different amounts, and it and it has to be whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but yeah, bringing your whole self to work, so that you know, we are, you know, there's a big big move at the moment um especially as, as you know i've seen it on on twitter or x um where you know people are saying you know doctors are human too you know we we are uh you know the reason why we're striking and needing more money is because you know we can't afford to pay our bills we can't afford to do our shopping you know the, you know we've we have all these human problems like like everyone else um and so uh you know we are we are not just this you know robotic doctor that comes to work we have problems with our you know family illnesses and relationship breakups and sick children and you know all, you know there's all sorts of stuff going on in the background that as fellow humans you know we're experiencing so um you know good to uh to bring you know the human aspect of of us to work as well um i really like the uh, calling it fall not fail just changing that one letter um from an i to another l um that is profound isn't it yeah um it's, oh, it's I, I can't take credit for it though no. i did hear it <laughs> somewhere yeah. i heard it on again like as you said the so I listened to Simon Sinek's podcast and it was again on, on that. I remember someone saying, and I just, I just, you're right. I think it's just that one letter and mm. um, it's you don't profound. feel like a failure. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah, we all, we all fall over. Um, but we just you get up, you know, and uh, carry on your, your walk wherever you're going to, don't you? That's um, without thinking right yeah um so let's let's be more like that um and but you may not have um you may not have come up with that but you've shared it to a much wider audience now so uh so thank you for for doing that um listening to our own advice uh great really really good um yeah how often do we just dole out the advice to our, our patients and families and friends uh about you know giving giving them you know being more forgiving to themselves and kinder to themselves and giving themselves the benefit of the doubt and they're going through hard times at the moment so don't beat yourself up and yet we often do the exact opposite of of that mm. so um that's great yeah uh don't compartmentalize um so again don't don't keep that advice just for others use it for yourself as well but also i think the compartmentalization thing also is um you know not necessarily ring ring fencing your home life and ring fencing your work life yeah. and and not you know there has to be some overlap like a venn diagram 
Um, so don't don't uh, keep them entirely separate. Um, at journaling, um, giving you that opportunity to pause and reflect, um, which is just you know such a a worthwhile thing to do. I think you know in the in the cut and thrust of our busy lives, we you know it's like like with the um, remembering you know going back to remembering what our why is. We often don't sit down and just go back to basics and say what. So why are we doing all this? You know, why uh, why am I putting myself through this? Uh, because there's a bigger, um, grander scheme um, that I'm working towards. But here, you know, with 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 journaling, it's how often do we give ourselves that time to just just be and reflect and and just think about think about the day or think about an interaction or or something like that. Um, and yeah, surround yourself with kind, empathic people. You know, kind of we are the the sum of the five or six people that we are mostly in contact with, isn't it? You know, so we're like mm. a, a a a conglomeration of their personalities. So you, you know, if you want to be a a kind, empathic person, surround yourself with kind, kind, empathic people, and uh, lift as you climb. Lift as you climb. Help help others. Help others. Um, ascend as well uh leave i think you said leave the ladder down you know so often in leadership and uh, i've seen it a lot in medical leadership you know the very kind of people that have benefited from cl climbing the ladder because someone senior to them has left the ladder down then get above that that trap door in that glass ceiling and uh immediately pull the ladder up mm. um and uh don't share the benefit with others that they have received and um yeah leave the ladder down that's a that's a, a fantastic um reminder for all of us i think so thank you so much for that so um we're, we're coming towards the end now and i just um i'm just going to ask if i mean oh you've shared so much. I mean, literally, I have a whole page of notes here from the last two questions uh, alone. Um, if you have anything left, or you can, or you can just kind of like reiterate some of the things you've already said. What are your take-home leadership messages for our listeners, please? Okay, so I'm, I, I have a, um, I feel very inspired by this one leader who's called as Indira Nui, who was the CEO of PepsiCo company. And she had come up with these, I think, five C's of leadership. And, and then based on that, I came up with my five P's of leadership, I think. Excellent. Um, so so I'll, I'll share some of those. Um, so first one is purpose, which I spoke to you about, you know, kind of finding out. Yeah. So find your purpose and yeah. the why you're doing it. And and I think, again, give yourself that, you know, it it may not immediately be obvious on the first thing. So it may require you to try out a few things by the time you finally find your purpose. And that's OK as well. But find yeah. your find your purpose. Second is find your people. As I was yeah. saying now, that could be your mentors, your coaches, your sponsors, the people you're going to surround yourself with. So find find your people. Um, third is putting yourself out there. So as I was saying, you know, when you have to, you know, ask someone for five minutes or 10 minutes of their time, uh, yeah. you know, put, put yourself out there. Now, social media can, it has its pros and cons. And yeah. there can be a lot of, there can be toxicity, there can be a lot of negativity as well there. But it is also uh, very informative. It's a place where you can form networks. Um, yeah. So put yourself, put yourself out there. But, 
you know, again, if it if it's becoming too much, then know when you want to draw the line because of the negativity and toxicity. But that's, again, important to connecting with people, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's uh, building your networks. Yes. Um, the fourth P is is posing questions. So forever be a learner, forever be curious, mm. um, you know, make be a constant learner. I've, I've heard so many podcasts this this weekend from varied medic, you know, from varied leaders actually mm. across sectors. You know, I heard Bill Gates, then I've heard from the CEO of Chanel, and then from a uh-huh. medical leader, and they all said, "Be curious, be a forever learner." So mm. pose questions forever, and um, it's okay to ask. Um, yeah. That is for there, and. And my last one is probably goes back to that, you know, pulling people up, up along with you. So you're not, you know, taking people along with you. So making sure that you keep that ladder down. So pushing people up, but being yeah. there for them, I think is probably my last, is my last P. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's my five P's of leadership. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic i I love those and uh, i can already hear the the sound bite to promote this episode and i can see (laughs) i can see the linkedin post talking about your five p's uh that is is wonderful such such good take-home messages um really uh really practical and um very kind of deep um uh, but but you know kind of pithy concise uh, i love it so so five p's of leadership dr kinras um talks about uh number one purpose you know remembering remembering your why number two people kind of surrounding yourself with with uh, with good people the right people for you number three put yourself out there so connect with people network with people number four pose questions it's okay to ask be a lifelong learner, be curious. Number five, pull people up as you climb, leave that ladder down. Um, I think they are wonderful. Thank you so, so much. That's tremendous, tremendous uh, value there. Um, well, we are, um, yeah, very much uh, coming towards the end. I, I just wanted to ask if there's um, currently uh, something you're working on um, that you're excited about and that you'd like to share with the listeners. Uh, so probably two things. One is from, um, I'll say about the personal stuff first. So I'm I'm training mm. for the London Marathon and um, that's in April. And I'm, I'm <laughs> well at my done. halfway mark of training. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I'm that's running amazing. for a charity, which is called as the Sense Charity. And they support uh, deafblind people. Uh, right. Currently, they're supporting 35,000 adults and children and they've got um, you know residential care virtual support I read about someone um, a blog that someone had done about how they taught them uh, hand-to-hand signing and they've now Mm. been taking them for golf lessons Um, so so if if people want to know more about this charity we'll it's it's there on my twitter feed and uh, hopefully we'll put some link on the show notes I'm really excited about yeah, thanks. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And in my in my professional life, I think um, the, the current role that I'm doing, which is the deputy medical director role, I think that still continues to excite me, enthuse me, um, makes me think what, you know, what's what's the next step in mm-hmm. that? Um, again, you know, how I'm going to um, 
really grow into this role with with the support that I've I've got uh, certainly around me. Um, mm. We're thinking about what does the future of system working look like integrated working across primary care and secondary care. So I'm doing a lot of work around the primary care, secondary care interface. And um, there's a lot of talk about productivity gains in in Mm. NHS. Um, And across the interface, uh, there is much to be gained to improve not just the life of the workforce, but also ensuring that we have a patient seamless journey. Mm. Um, So I think that's, it's going to be interesting to see what shape, shape that, that takes. Yeah. Um, because if I look back at it in Nottingham, I had done a video on interface about, gosh, eight years ago. The fact that we still have those challenges, but um, maybe in a bit of a different position where we can make it better for our patient journey. So that's something exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, really, uh, really important. So so the, um, the, the, the personal, um, the personal goal, um, the, the marathon, London Marathon for Sense, um fantastic um fantastic charity um so exciting to to hear you that you're doing that um but also your um your deputy medical director work and the um integrated working you know across primary secondary care and i I remember um when we were on the nottinghamshire local medical committee together some years ago and you were um doing some work uh, where trainees, I think trainee doctors in general practice in family medicine were spending some time in the hospital with the trainee hospital specialists and mm-hmm. seeing what they have to go through and, and the challenges mm-hmm. they face. And the other way around, you were bringing some of the hospital specialist trainees into general practice so they could see the challenges faced by mm-hmm. GPs, family physicians. Um, and then it kind of went to the, the consultants yeah. didn't it? the attending so yes. the fully qualified the GPs. Yeah. yeah it was the buddy program yes now that you yeah. remind me actually i'd forgotten mm. about it yeah yeah good, good memory. yeah so we had, we had done one was a video that we did and then yes we did yeah. the buddy program uh which yeah. which was well received and it actually went on to uh, i think they went on to build on that so um, mm. thank you yeah. for reminding me that yeah, yeah. so something you've been you've been passionate about and um working on for many years now um because ultimately you know that will benefit patients if primary and secondary care can be more on the same page and more empathic towards one another and and you know deal with things in a in a kinder way um mm. and and having you know being um pa- patient and understanding of of each other's challenges uh, that will definitely uh, because often it's the the patient is kind of like the tennis ball in the middle um mm. being batted back and forth so um really really good um worthy aim uh there so thank you thank you for sharing that and um yeah finally if if uh if any of the listeners would like to reach out to you um and you know and kind of you know pick your brain and and learn more about what you do and and maybe get some um advice and so on what would be the best way for them to do so yeah so i'm I'm, uh, uh can be contacted through twitter now called x um and uh my my Twitter profile again. We'll put a link to it, but it's at Sonali yeah. Kindra. Um, I'm slightly more active on Twitter, I would say, as compared to LinkedIn. But mm-hmm. if you ping me a message on LinkedIn, then I will absolutely pick that up. Uh, and yeah. I'm also happy to be contacted by by email. So uh, I'm happy for you to share my uh, NHS.net email address. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we'll put a link to that hopefully in the show yeah. notes. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, gosh, um, that's it's been really, it's been wonderful. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, I, I've learned a lot uh, from from speaking to you. Uh, I always do, um, but it's sort of been in a, a, a you know a condensed form of uh, of all your brilliance, uh, kind of whistle stop tour of that through uh, through about an hour and a half. Um, so I, I know the I know the audience are, are going to get so much out of listening to this episode. So um, thank you, thank you so much for for coming along and sharing all of that with us. I'm really grateful. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for the opportunity. It's um, it's always great great chatting to you. It's it's you know to to catch up with you, and uh, I hope this is of benefit to your audience, and may your audience continue to grow. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, it it, it absolutely uh, will definitely be a benefit to the audience. Thank you. So um, all that remains is to thank you for listening to this episode and to wish you all a happy and healthy two weeks and for everyone to experience some inspiring leadership in the meantime. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the Inspiring Women Leaders podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach, So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website, www.dradamharrison.com. That's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today. And please join me next time, two weeks from now, on Alternate Wednesdays, for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.